Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Palace Off the Top Rope Presents, 90s Films Turn 30. Thank you so much for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. And it's been a little bit of a hot minute since I've done one of these episodes. I just brought back my main show just a few weeks ago, so thank you so much for tuning in on that. Um, for those of you that have never heard this spinoff show, which I, I created, where we mainly talk about 90s films and specifically them turning 30 years old, especially in all of this upcoming decade, they're all turning 30. And I thought that's a good opportunity to gauge whether a movie has aged well or whether it was a beacon of its time. 30 years is a long, long time. You know, sometimes I think the 90s were just like, you know, 10 years ago. But a lot of time has passed. And to me, the 90s movies were always, to me, I still think the best decade of movies. That's where we really saw the rise in the movie star, which I think is something that has really kind of gotten lost in today's landscape in Hollywood, which is something I think we need to get back to, get back to building up the movie star and wanting to go see a movie because of who's in it and not necessarily the brand, which is what a lot of the stuff has become. You know, you go to see a, a Star Wars movie, a Marvel movie, or, you know, basically everything's a franchise now. We saw the recent success with Scream. That's a franchise. Uh, Creed, that's part of the Rocky world. That's a franchise. So um, I miss the days where you would just go out and be like, hey, look, here's Denzel Washington in an original movie, but I don't know much about it, but he's in it. I like his stuff. He's a good actor. Let's check it out. So I really think that's something that was huge in the 90s, and that's something that we can really explore. And although today's movie is actually from uh, celebrated its 30th anniversary last year, right because we're in march 2023 but we're still in the 30 year anniversary window this whole decade for these 90s movies and let's uh let's put it out there today's movie is one that has become one of my all-time favorites it is definitely in my top 10 of all time Uh, again my opinion my movies my list it is on there it is such a rewatchable movie and that is rob reiner's a few good men starring tom cruise Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, among many others, which we will discuss in this show. Um, now, just hearing those three names alone, that is pure 90s stardom. Uh, those were like staples of the 90s movies. Um, but there's a lot we're going to dive into. And this isn't really so much to really nitpick the movie. It's more to just reminisce on memories of it, favorite things that we may have liked about it, things that we may have not liked about it, but not delving too much into that um how it did box office wise critically all of that stuff whether it would be a streaming movie today or if it would actually get a shot at the movie theaters um i've got good ideas of how to recast this movie if it were made today i really thought about that during my rewatch last night and also whether it has aged well in the 30 years since it's been released so without further ado you want the truth you can't handle the truth this is A Few Good Men. Enjoy the show. And how long have you been out of law school? A little over a year. Have you ever been in a courtroom? Commander, Lieutenant Caffey successfully plea bargained 44 cases in nine months. One more, I get a set of steak knives. The facts of the case are these. On midnight of September 6, the accused entered the barracks room of their platoon mate. They tied his arms and legs with tape and forced a rag into his throat. He drowned in his own blood and was pronounced dead at 37 minutes past midnight. I don't think you're fit to handle the defense. You don't even know me. 
Ordinarily, it takes someone hours to discover I'm not fit to handle a defense. You want to investigate me? Roll the dice and take your chances. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 Cubans who are trained to kill me. So don't think for one second you can come down here, flash a badge, and make me nervous. I'll knock it all down to involuntary manslaughter. Two years or home in six months. No deal. We're going to court. No, you're not. Why not? Because you'll lose. Do you think Santiago was murdered? Private Santiago is dead because he had no honor. And God was watching. How do you feel about that theory? Sounds good to me. If this case is handled in the same fast food, slick ass, Persian bazaar manner with which you seem to handle everything else, then something's gonna get missed. You wanna slam dunk this guy? Danny, I know what you're gonna say, you don't have to. But we don't have to make a whole big deal out of it. You like me, I won't make you say it. I was just gonna tell you to wear matching socks tomorrow. Okay. Good tip. All right. In the heart of the nation's capital, in a courthouse of the U.S. government. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. One man will stop at nothing to keep his honor, and one will stop at nothing to find the truth. You men follow orders or people die. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You! All right, here we go. So A Few Good Men was released on December 11th, 1992, would go on to get nominated for Best Picture. I believe it should have won. I mean, looking in the context of a lot of movies that were nominated for Best Picture, if you go through a lot of these Oscars, you wonder how some of them didn't win. So A Few Good Men was up against a movie called Howard's End, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino, and The Crying Game. I think Unforgiven ended up winning Best Picture that year. It's Clint Eastwood, Western. Uh, I mean, everything was going for him during that time. So um, I'm not going to knock it. Unforgiven is a really great film. But if I had to redo the Oscars, I mean, this is a, a tour de force, A Few Good Men. And it's still on so much replay on television. I can't tell you how many times if it's on TV, me and my dad will sit down. And no matter where it's at in the movie, we will watch the entire thing. We were rewatching it last night and we've seen it over a dozen times and we're sitting there engaged the whole time just with everything that's going on. We know everything that happens. We know how to quote the movie and all that stuff. But the fact that that movie can still grab our attention for the full like two hours and 20 minutes that it is and we're just riveted by everything going on. And every now and then like I'll ask him a question on it because like, there's there's things that I can always discover on my rewatches of movies. So I'll ask him questions on this or that him and dan tucker are like my two most favorite people that i can talk about movies with and that i will go to for if i have any questions like if i can't figure it out myself i'm always going to one of these guys to to really just help lecture me and uh just inform me like i love it absolutely love it and this is one of my favorite movies to watch with my dad over and over because we'll just be engaged the whole time um 
memories of A Few Good Men. Now, this wasn't the Tom Cruise movie that I grew up with as a kid. So my memories of of Tom Cruise early were obviously Top Gun and then a lot of rewatch of Days of Thunder, which I did cover on this show. Um, that played a lot on HBO as a kid. I think A Few Good Men was on Showtime. So, and we never had Showtime in our house growing up unless we had the free preview weekend or something like that. And I'm not saying we had HBO all the time in our household, but d- there were stretches where we would have it. And those were the movies that would play like a Top Gun or a Days of Thunder. So it wasn't really until high school where I really got exposed to a few good men and I absolutely fell in love with it. And when I found out it was a based on a play, um, <laughs> and I was in theater in high school in my junior and senior year and I wanted so badly to do a few good men as one of our plays for, for one act competition. You know, that's an actor's dream. There's just so many scenes of dialogue and from the incredible Aaron Sorkin, who we'll talk about more later down as we stretch through this show. Um, the di- dialogue is just so riveting and an actor's dream. And that's one of the biggest reasons why, you know, I love this movie. I'll get into my likes about this movie, but just the, the fact that this movie holds you with with dialogue and then just performance there's not so much spectacle in it that's the that's the power of screenwriting and that's why Aaron Sorkin is one of my absolute favorites of all time in that department so again really early memories were you know not until high school and again it it plays a lot on TV still plays a lot to this day you'll see it like on an IFC TNT BBC America any movie channel that plays movies, uh, and it's weird because we're in an age now where if you look at a lot of the channels, they're always playing like a Marvel movie, Star Wars, and a lot of film history is kind of getting erased a little bit as far as like there being other stuff out there. But there are certain movies that can, you know, scratch or break through like the, the sands of time. And I think A Few Good Men is one of these movies. Again, I'll talk about it at the very end, whether it's aged uh, and it's 30 years since it's been released, and I think you can spoil it for yourself uh, on what the answer is going to be on that. But the fact that it still plays on TV today in 2023 is absolutely phenomenal. So um, let me break down the plot that is given to us on boxofficemojo.com, which is powered by IMDb Pro. Now, I always look at Box Office Mojo for all the box office data on how a movie's doing, how it drops, how it does all time, how it's doing in, in terms of where we're at now, um, inflation, adjusted for inflation, all that stuff. Uh, and then, of course, IMDb I use to for any situation, whether I want to know uh, where an actor has appeared before, whether I'm not sure of what the person's name is. Um, I'm always learning about film any chance that I get, even in a movie like A Few Good Men, which I've seen over and over again. There's still stuff where I may see in the background like, hmm, I wonder who did the uh, you know, production design and, and all that stuff. So there's the IMDb app is perfect for that. So if you're if you're ever stuck in a situation where like, oh, who's that actor? He looks familiar. I, I've seen him in this, but I don't know his name. Get the IMDb app. It'll help you tremendously. And of course, if you're all about the financials and, and the box office of it all, Box Office Mojo is your absolute perfect source for all of that stuff. So anyways, here's a synopsis, guys. Military lawyer Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, defends Marines accused of murder. They contend they were acting under orders. Now, it's a very straightforward plot. It's very predictable, I think. There's nothing complicated about the plot. 
And the movie is very good about telling you that. And I know there's people that will complain like, oh, it was very like predictable. We knew where it was going. But, you know, sometimes in movies, that's okay, especially when you're getting incredible performances. You got a very sharp screenplay and just the overall presentation of the movie is good. I'm okay with stories being predictable. And that goes for anything. You know, I'm a big pro wrestling guy. And right now they're doing a huge storyline uh, with Sami Zayn, Roman Reigns, Kevin Owens, and Cody Rhodes. It's all ve- very basic storytelling and where it's headed as far as the good guy versus the bad guy. But what's elevating it are the performances, the storytelling, the the crowd reactions. And yes, I think it's going to have a very predictable ending as to where all of this is going. But it doesn't matter because all of that stuff's been elevated by everything else. So it's okay with the predictable ending. So I think we've gotten too accustomed to... You know, wanting the shock and awe and the twist. And there's a movie coming up towards the end of the 90s that kind of like ruins that a little bit for for movies going forward. Um, still a great movie, but I think it ruined a lot of people's expectations of stuff going forward. It, stuff doesn't always have to be about the shock and awe. It could just be what it is. And as long as you have all those great things going for you, the acting, the screenwriting, the directing, if you have all of that in a bubble, I think your movie is going to be good. And it's okay. I'm fine with predictability. Some people need the shock and on the twists and turns, but that those are just my thoughts on it. But the way I would spruce up this synopsis, just a little bit if I could, I would uh so Daniel Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, is obviously the main character, and he's like this hot shot, cocky, up and coming lawyer who's never really seen the inside of a courtroom before. And he kind of gets pressured into doing this, taking this case and being Taking the opportunity to be the really good lawyer that everybody thinks he is. Um, and a lot of, some of it is fear and some of it is not living up to expectations because his father was a big lawyer back in his day. So the way I would spruce up the synopsis, I would say this. I would say military lawyer Daniel Caffey is rightfully pushed into defending the honor of two disgraced Marines who have been accused of murder, although they say they were just taking orders. So that spruces it up just a little bit. The story is very straightforward. Uh, but again, this movie is elevated by a bunch of different things. Now, let's talk about the box office side of things. Now, this is the stuff that I really love to see. And especially in the 90s where box office kind of started to really explode. You know, nowadays, as I'm going through this, and for those of you that are young or aren't going to really understand this in context, how some of this stuff was really huge back in its day, but now it's kind of just like nothing. You know, when you have a movie like Avengers Endgame opening to 300 million, you're used to that. You're used to movies opening up in the hundred millions and like it's normal now. So, um, but back in the nineties, when you saw a movie gross over a hundred million dollars, I was just, just a sight to see. So, like I said, this movie opens on December 11th, 1992, around the Christmas time. It's got a budget of $41 million. Now, a movie like this today would probably cost a little bit higher, especially if you're casting the same type of actors. Um, the budget would be a little bit bigger. But if you're going off a $40 million budget uh, in today's landscape, you're going to have to get a lot of unknown actors and... It may be a streamer, but I don't know. I'm starting to see a lot more uptick in the box office. I'm feeling more positive about it today than I was, let's say, a year or two ago, where things were just looking doom and gloom for a type of movie like this. This is like a mid, this is a mid budgeted type movie, right? In the 40, 50 million dollar range. A lot of big budgeted movies are over the hundred million dollar range, but then they struggle to make a profit. Um, 
But I think the return of the mid-budget movie is slowly making a comeback in our theaters. You know, last year we had, you know, The Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, kind of like a rom-com that made over $100 million and it didn't cost too much. Um, this year you had movies like 80 for Brady, which cost barely anything but turned a profit at the box office, Cocaine Bear, you know, all these like little mid-budget movies playing a movie with Gerard Butler, which is kind of like a B trash type of movie but it's making its money because it didn't cost that much to make and people are tuning in for those that's healthy for the box office not everything has to gross over a hundred million or has to cost over a hundred million to make Uh, i think hollywood has gotten too obsessed with that and i think if you can make these mid-range budget movies and maybe not have the salaries be so large for these actors and again, it would be easier today, right? Because the movie star is basically almost gone. You have a few, very few that are left, including Tom Cruise, that can, that you have to pay the lump sum if you want them in your movie. But I think you could bring back these type of movies and put them into the theaters, have them not cost too much. And if you promote it well and you get good creators behind it, directors, and you get the right cast involved, you can market it and you can uh, turn a profit. So anyways, the budget, yes, for this one was $41 million, and it opened on December 11th to $15 million. Now, um, I didn't get a chance to look if it was number one at the box office, but $15 million back in the 90s is not bad. You know, usually movies, big movies with big stars would open up in the 20 to $25 million range, sometimes 30 and then as we get Higher up in the 90s, you started looking at the 50 million range and 60, 70, stuff like that. So 15 million is not bad. But this is what is incredible about A Few Good Men and to the star power of Cruz Nicholson, Demi Moore, who was also very big in the 90s. Uh, this movie ends up going to gross 141 million domestic. Now you want to talk about a movie that has legs from 15 million all the way to 141 million? That's Awesome. That is a surefire hit. Internationally overseas where Tom Cruise is a little bit bigger. Uh, didn't gross as much, but still grossed over a hundred million at the international box office, bringing us to a worldwide total of 243 million. Um, this was a huge hit. Again, it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars and I, I, again, I think I, sh- I think it should have won Best Picture, but that's just me. This movie is still influential today. It's still very quotable. There's a lot of quotes in this movie that you can go off and you can recite into monologues. And you know, I've done my fair share of reenactments of scenes from this movie. I, I just think it's super influential. And this is a surefire hit for Sony. And I think if you were to do it today, um, it pro- you probably might not get the same numbers, but you could still make it a successful. Uh, movie if you market it the right, right way. Now that's the box office side of things. Let's go into the critical side of things. Now on this show, I like to look up critics, uh, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, who were like staples of 90s movies. Their names were plastered over all over the posters and the movie rental boxes. If your movie was good, you would get the signature Roger Ebert and Siskel give this movie two thumbs up or, you know, you'd get one or the other. One of them was at least plastered on a hit movie um, and you couldn't miss it, whether it be on the posters or on the video box for, for the VHS release. So I like to go back and see what they thought of the movies. You know, they give really good insights into, you know, everybody's a critic nowadays, right? Everybody's got a blog. Everybody's got a podcast, including myself, but I don't consider myself to be a really 
you know, real critic. I just give my thoughts, you know, and I, I hit and miss on a lot of stuff and I, I'm usually wrong also and I can go back and change my opinion on stuff. Um, that, that will never waver for me. Like I'll get stuff wrong. I, I can admit that. But anyways, I look to these guys, especially in the way they talk about movies, because even if they don't like it, they'll at least give context and they'll find stuff that they did like about it. And that's the, I think that's the measure of a really good critic who can find the good, even in stuff that's like terrible. They'll, even if it's like a movie as bad as like, I don't know, there was a movie I covered on here called Men at, Men at Work. There's something you can find in there <laughs> that you can like, even though the movie was complete garbage. Uh, so to, pun intended for that movie. But for Siskel and Ebert, for A Few Good Men, uh, they both gave this movie two thumbs up. They gave a lot of kudos to the same things that I talked about. The acting, the screenplay by Aaron Sorkin. Um, couple, There's one trope in here that was kind of interesting, and we'll talk about that a little bit more um, as we go down the line. But he mentioned that, uh, did Siskel. And I was like, oh, you know what? You're right. And I've caught it a bunch while watching this movie over and over. But never really like found that to be like a a trope. I just found it to be very progressive, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that more. So they gave it a both a two thumbs up. Obviously, rounding up the their best movies of the year, uh, as did a lot of critics. And another thing that I like to use for this show, just to gauge where critics and people are thinking about it not that it's the end-all be-all i'm always be your own critic judge everything on yourself because you only you through your lens are gonna feel about a movie how you feel about it you can't go off of other people's opinions even my own like i always tell people like oh what do you think about this movie like i liked it but go see it for yourself you may have a difference of opinion now i work in the movie theater business so when guests are asking me for my opinion, they're going to be spending their money. If they're asking me on my opinion on something that I think is excellent, and let's say they're maybe watching something that's not, I know is probably not going to have good uh, value for their money. Yeah, I'll definitely try to recommend another movie. But for the most part, you're going to be your own best critic as far as like whether you like a movie or not. And anybody that's swayed by critics or anything like that, uh, I don't know, guys. Find a, find a different hobby than doing that because you'll lose out on a lot of good movies and watching good films if, if you go off of that attitude. But anyways, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, a lot of people use it today, you know, to gauge whether they're going to go see a movie or not. I just like to see it in terms of what people are thinking about it. Um, so as far as the critics goes, it's got an 84% out of 67 reviews. Now, if this movie were released today, you'd probably see over at least 150 reviews on this, and it may be higher or lower depending on, you know, this movie is also, it's a beacon of the 90s, so there's there's stuff in here that has not aged well, but again, you have to remember the time that it was released, and you can't fault the movie for that, it's just the way the times were, and the way people talked. 84%, it's considered certified fresh, so it's a, it's a top-rated movie. Uh, I I think that's dead on. That's just my opinion. Sometimes the critics don't always get it right, and sometimes the critics don't always match what the audience is thinking about the movie. And they're matched up perfectly here. Especially if you know it's a it's a really good movie in, in your eyes. Both of these are going to match up, and it certainly does here. It's got an audience score of eighty nine percent. That's based off of two hundred and fifty thousand ratings on here. So 
um, it's safe to say that most people that watch this movie absolutely love it. So that's how it did box office wise, huge hit, 141 million in the US. And that's really basically what I look at, but I still give you the worldwide number just to give it full context. And then critically, it was absolutely exceptional. And again, I think this is one of the best rewatchable movies that you have on television. I will watch it from wherever it's at, even if it's the final 10 minutes, I will sit, drop everything that I'm doing and watch it. Um, so let's, let's get into, uh, three things that I liked about this movie. And the first one is obviously I'm an actor, or at least I aspire to be one. Um, this is a true acting tour de force. Um, Tom Cruise is excellent in this. Now, Tom Cruise had already been around for a while. You know, we saw him in obviously Breakout in Top Gun, we Cocktail, Days of Thunder, The Color of Money. You know, we saw him in a bunch of stuff, working with a lot of great directors and another good director here in Rob Reiner, which I was looking through his filmography and it's a little bit interesting. He's done more like uh, rom-coms if you look in the full context of his career, but there's some good ones in there where he's good at doing the drama. Uh, I covered one called Misery with James Caan and Kathy Bates. He directed that one. Uh, so he, he's got a notch for doing these type of suspenseful movies um, also along with the rom-coms. But Cruz was working with, you know, Scorsese and Tony Scott and, you know, just doing – working with all these big-time directors really – just honing his craft. And I think of by the time we get to a few good men, this is Tom Cruise finally entering his prime, like of movie stardom. Like this, like yes, Top Gun is the one that put him as, uh, into a superstar. But you know, you could say the same thing about Leonardo DiCaprio from Titanic, right? Like that's the movie that put him into superstar mode. But you don't really consider that like his best performance. Like that would be years down the line. Tom Cruise, like as far as like a movie star, like this is him, like. Stating to the world in this performance, like, I'm here, I'm the fucking man. So, that performance is awesome, but everybody else is so good in this movie too. Jack Nicholson as like just that, that menacing villain from the start, just from the way he talks, from the way he looks at you. It's not just so much in what's spoken in this movie, it's the way looks are given and it's the way it's framed. And that's another thing I'll give, uh, director Rob Ryan a lot of credit for is the way he frames some of these shots, a lot of close-ups on the eyes, especially in the final showdown between Nicholson and Tom Cruise. There's a lot of close-ups on the face and just, you know, reactions on, on how the other person is talking to them. Just a lot of tremendous stuff. So the acting all around is incredible. Demi Moore is severely underrated as an actress, especially in this one because she goes, Toe to toe with Tom Cruise in a lot of these scenes where it's a lot of dialogue back and forth. And again, credit to the screenwriter, Aaron Sorkin, because without this electric screenplay, you don't get these performances. Like, yes, these people are good actors, but sometimes an actor is only as good as the script they're given. And sometimes you could tell when actors are performing in a movie that's got a bad script, like you can tell instantly, or maybe I can, just I study this stuff so much. But when it's flowing, when it's going, and they've got somebody like a Sorkin behind them, man, you get some incredible performances. Kevin Bacon's in this movie as well. He's good. Uh, Jack Ross, um, Kiefer Sutherland his, in this role here. He's good as an asshole that he plays. Plays Lieutenant Kendrick, kind of like the second, third hand man to Jack Nicholson's character of Jessup. Um, Kevin Pollock is good as the sidekick to Tom Cruise. Um, and then we got a, 
a bunch of small cameos from different actors like Cuba Gooding Jr., Noah Wiley. Um, just, I mean, again, this is just an actor's dream to do a movie like this with a screenplay like this. So that's one of my favorite things about this movie is just the performances. Uh, secondly, of course, is the screenplay. A lot, a lot of incredible dialogue scenes. A lot of stuff that you can do in acting classes because there's a lot of one-on-one scenes here where there's just characters going back and forth and the, and the beauty of an Aaron Sorkin script is that everybody's sharp and witted and, and not in a way where Marvel where it's like redundant where like everybody's the same character. Like everybody in an Aaron Sorkin movie has like their own pizzazz to it. Uh, here's an example of what I'm talking about. I don't believe it. Thos is going to go to jail just to spite me. Fine. If he wants to jump off a cliff, that's his business. I'm not going to hold his hand on the way down. I want to get him a new lawyer. How do I do it? Just make a motion tomorrow morning at the arraignment. The judge will ask you if you want to enter a plea and you tell him you want to have new counsel assigned. That's that. One thing, though. When you ask the judge for new counsel, can he be sure and ask nicely? What do you want from me? I want you to let them be judged. I want you to stand up and make an argument. An argument that didn't work for Callie at Milai. An argument that didn't work for the Nazis at Nuremberg. Oh, for Christ's sake, Sam. Do you really think that's the same as two teenage Marines executing a routine order they never believed would result in harm? These guys aren't the Nazis. Don't look now, Danny, but you're making an argument. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow morning, I get them a new attorney. Why are you so afraid to be a lawyer? Were daddy's expectations really that high? Oh, please, spare me the psychobabble father bullshit. Dawson and Downey will have their day in court, but they'll have it with another lawyer. Another lawyer won't be good enough. They need you. You know how to win. You know they have a case, and you know how to win. If you walk away from this now, you've sealed their fate. Their fate was sealed the moment Santiago died. Do you believe they have a case? (laughs) You and Dawson, you both live in the same dream world. It doesn't matter what I believe. It only matters what I can prove. So please, don't tell me what I know and don't know I know the law. You know nothing about the law. You're a used car salesman, Daniel. You're an ambulance chaser with a rank. You're nothing. Live with that. Oh, so good. I mean, there are so many good acting scenes that you can practice your acting craft. So for those of you that are young and if you're listening to this and if you've never seen this movie before, first of all, go see it. What are you waiting for? And secondly, go pull scenes from this movie and practice your craft. I promise you it's it's good, especially from the standpoint of Sorkin's uh, dialogue. You'll get a lot of good mileage out of it. And there's plenty of scenes here, including the final act with Cruz and Nicholson in the one-on-one showdown in the courtroom. Um, the, the other thing that I liked about this movie – and as I teased earlier, uh, Siskel brought it up in his review, is that in this movie, especially like in the wrong hands with the wrong director and uh, somebody doesn't know what they're doing as far as like writing it or writing it very – this is where like writing predictably could be bad. Now, Demi Moore is the only female in this film and she's pitted a lot with Tom Cruise and if this is any other movie or any other schmuck trying to get this done – they obviously would have made these two characters somewhat of a love interest. And this movie does a really progressive thing at the time, and it doesn't go that direction. 
Um, even though they don't treat Demi Moore's character as an equal as far as like rank and respectable, but in terms of her acting across from either Nicholson or Cruz or anybody else in this movie, like she really holds her own. And I found that to be very progressive and very just, just the world that is, right? There is not like, oh, you're a woman. You can't, you know, go to toe to toe with me or outthink me or outwork me. No, she's just a character in this world that is treated as an, as is. Like, you know, she's just, she's good at her job. She, she can stand, hold her own ground and she can argue and this and that. So I thought that's, it was very progressive in me not, and when I said earlier where I didn't really think about the love interest thing was cause I didn't think about that. I just thought about her as an equal to Tom Cruise. But in speaking about that and I was watch, rewatching it last night, there's a scene at the end of the movie once everything's all said and done. There is a look that Demi Moore gives Tom Cruise like, Oh yeah, we're, we're definitely gonna fuck later on tonight. So that may be the only thing about romance that is said between those, or not said between those two in that movie. It's all given with looks, but for the most part, they're just, you know, they're coworkers, they're just people in each other's lives. They're not really love interest to each other. And I said, like I said, if this was in the hands of any other director or any other screenwriter that doesn't, didn't know what they were doing, it would have turned into a sappy, like, little love story for, like, no reason. This movie is strictly business. It's about the case. It's about defending these two Marines. And it's about Tom Cruise trying to prove that he's as good of a lawyer as everyone thinks he can be. So those are my three things about this movie. Obviously, I can point to little nitpicks about the movie. Like, I wish... I actually like the score. Could be, could have been a little bit better, but the score is what it is. And I'm a big, huge movie score guy, but this is a movie where it doesn't really need it because it's all powered through a lot of dialogue and performance and a lot of dramatic looks. So I'm not going to fault it for that. Um, let's talk about whether this movie today, whether it would be put on a streamer or if it would be given the opportunity to be put in a theater now now obviously i'm looking at it through the lens of this is the same cast let's say they're all they're still in their prime um tom cruise is still tom cruise so i think it does have that uh that ability to get put onto a movie screen where you'll have to go out and pay your movie and and go out and see it on on the giant screen um tom cruise still holds that power so on that aspect yes but if he's not in this and you're you have anybody else there's a possibility that this ends up like on Paramount Plus or a Peacock or something like that. Hopefully not Netflix. I think Netflix, they're into making their own movies, but if you got a big studio behind it, like a Paramount or, you know, even HBO with Warners and, and like I said, Peacock with Universal, uh, they can at least make a quality movie. Even Apple to some degree, maybe. But the fact that it would still have Tom Cruise, you would definitely have the chance for it to be a theatrical release. Now, here's the interesting point, because how would I cast this thing if we were making it today with a whole new batch of of actors? So I think before anything, you have to cast like the veteran. You have to cast the Nicholson part. You have to cast somebody with that type of menace, that type of, you know, just presence where they're in the room. You're like automatically, holy shit, like, should I show respect or should I be scared or what? And I think the perfect person to play Colonel Jessup if we were to remake this movie in 2023 my pick would be Christian Bale and it's so easy put the crew cut on him 
He could deliver the menacing dialogue. You'll still, you could still have Sorkin write the screenplay. And I think Bale is as menacing as they come where you don't have to put on, you know, makeup or in a suit like he did in Thor, uh, Love and Thunder this past summer where, you know, he's menacing, but you can make him a little bit more menacing physically. But I think just as a presence alone with words and just looks, Christian Bale could definitely pull that off as the menacing, uh, Colonel Jessup. So you have that part nailed down. So you have the veteran right there. Now, to play the young Daniel Caffey, you need somebody who's charismatic, but you also need somebody that could match, go toe-to-toe with Jack Nicholson because the end of the movie is what makes or breaks it, right? It's all on how Caffey grills and grills Jessup to try to get him to just submit and say that, yes, he was behind the order that had those Marines uh, get that soldier that ended up dying. So I think for this role, for Daniel Caffey, I'm going to go with Glenn Powell. Now, if you haven't heard of him, you should. I think he's on the rise. He's one of these. I think, guys, if he's on, if he keeps on track with what he's doing, he could have a really good, nice career. He's got the good looks like a Tom Cruise. He's got that movie star look quality. But he's also got that charisma. Now, Glenn Powell, for those of you that don't know, he was, uh, he played Hangman in Top Gun Maverick. And you could tell, like, he's just got a lot of charm and charisma. And that's definitely what this role needs, but also needs to match wits and match, uh, you know, just charisma and machismo. And I think Glenn Powell could bring that confidence to the big screen and going up and matching with a Christian Bale. Um, now, would it come off the same as like a Nicholson Cruise? I don't know, but I think we could get real close to it. I think that's a really good pairing right there. Uh, for the Demi Moore part, uh, Gal- Lieutenant Galloway, that's who she plays. Um, just because I want to see her recite Sorkin dialogue, and especially because you don't have to do the love interest thing, only because she's a bit younger, although I would wait to do this movie until she's a couple of years older, is Jenna Ortega. I think her reciting Sorkin dialogue would come out perfectly from her mouth. You know, I've seen her just watching her in Scream 6, you know, in the dialogue that she's given in this movie. She is doing just wonders with uh, her dialogue. And imagine with her reciting Sorkin stuff. Oh, that's just chef's kiss right there. And plus, I think she's another actress that I think is going to be just one of those that could have a really good career. You know, but I also thought about that once about, you know, a Lindsay Lohan, you know, Anne Hathaway's got some of that quality, but you know, she's made some choices throughout her career. I think she could be bigger than what she is. Same thing for like a Rachel McAdams. Uh, but I think Jenna Ortega, as far as like for the next generation, I think she's like, she's got that like Julia Roberts star where she could be like that big and she could do all these different kinds of movies. Um, so I would love to see her in a movie like this. So I would cast her in that role, uh, for the role of Jack Ross, who was played by Kevin Bacon. Uh, he's the lawyer opposing Tom Cruise's character in the movie. I would go with also kind of like a veteran, but also still kind of young and could, you know, just be that co-worker or that co-op with uh, Glenn Powell. I'd put Andrew Garfield, and Andrew Garfield has done Aaron Sorkin before. Uh, just watch The Social Network. He's so good in that. And I think he would play good as the opposing lawyer who's kind of brash, but also just straight to it. Like, I, I think he could bring a little bit of that Eduardo Saverin character that he did in, in Social Network, but just kind of turn it up a little bit higher and be a little bit more stern and and just uh, just more confident. Uh, Andrew Garfield would be perfect in that role. Uh, for the Kevin Pollack character who plays Weinberg, who's the assistant to Tom Cruise in the movie, um, 
I've been watching a lot of the Flash final season. I want to see Grant Gustin in a movie. And I think he'd be good for a role like this, just supporting, you know, where he's got presence. He doesn't have to carry a lot of the dialogue weight, but can have his moments where he's saying some stuff. And I think Grant Gustin would be good in this role. Now, the only one, and I said I was thinking about this a lot, but the only person I really couldn't cast or think about was uh Kendrick. And, you know, that could be like any asshole, right? You know, just get your run of the mill. But if we're going to get like somebody who's like a name, um, you know, Miles Teller could be good in this role. Um, but I like him a lot and I, I just can't see him getting too menacing like that. I, I think he's just got too much charm. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, really honestly, like, uh, maybe like, uh, let's, let's think about this one for a second. I don't know, like a James Martin or something. I like to see him play like he, he, he does a little bit of it in two guns. If you've ever seen that movie. He could probably play that role like a Kendrick, just like he's kind of like just the sidekick to Jack Nicholson, but he's also got like that smug asshole that you just want to take down. And there's that's a lot of what makes A Few Good Men good also is Tom Cruise has that animosity with that character. So when he goes toe-to-toe with him in the courtroom, that's a really good scene. Um Yeah, probably like a James Mardson, somebody like that. Maybe like... Ryan Gosling, I think, might be too big for it, but also I can see him taking, like, a smaller role like that. Just put some, you know, glasses on him, kind of make him look like a Dahmer-type character, but just, you know, like, just a a smug asshole, but, you know, you just want to see him, you know, get his, but could also be a little menacing. So, you know, like a James Martin or Ryan Gosling, I'd probably go for that role just to make it real star-studded. And, again, that's the beauty of this movie is that it's so – this is such a classic 90s star-driven movie. Again, no special effects, no, you know, spectacle. It's all drama, suspense, and acting. And again, if you have the right director behind it, which Rob Reiner was good for this, um, you have the right actors for it, Cruz, Nicholson, Moore, perfect. You have Sorkin's screenplay, tremendous. You have a great movie. And the setting, a courtroom drama, like, I can't think of a lot of good courtroom movies. I mean, there's been plenty of them. But you want to talk about most influential and most popular and, and one that still is you know, in the pop culture zeitgeist even to today. It's got to be a few good men, right? And that segues us into our final question is as to whether or not and what this whole podcast is about is whether this movie has aged in the 30 years that it's been released. Well, let's think about this. Tom Cruise is still as popular and as big of a movie star as you can get. Um and yeah, the fact that this still plays on television and the fact that it's so quotable, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. I guarantee if you pull a hundred people and you just say that one quote, they'll tell you what movie that's from and who's in it. So the staying power of this movie is incredible. I think it is aged perfectly. It's a perfect rewatchable movie. Um, and if you haven't seen it yet, and I'm not one of these people that likes to recommend stuff to people, you know, you like what you like. But if you want to talk about, if you want to see a good movie with good acting and a good story, even though, albeit predictable, that's your opinion, whatever, this is one I could recommend. Like, And if this got re-released today, I think it would do incredible box office numbers and box office legs just because of, you know, the acting and, and everything else that I've stated over at nauseum on this, on this episode. It's just so freaking good. And like I said, it's a movie that I've always liked. Uh, from the get-go, but I've grown to love it so much more and so much more. The fact that I, I think it's now in my top 10 uh, 
favorite movies of all time. And that list has changed a lot as I've grown up. And this movie, you know, in the many times that I've watched it, I'm still so riveted by it. Uh, yeah, I don't know where in my top 10 it would be. Maybe I'll, I'll do a podcast on that, uh, somewhere down the line. But when I do make that list, a few good men is going to be in there. It is just a phenomenal tour de force acting blockbuster movie. It's so good. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you guys for joining me. This, again, this is the first one I've done in a very long time. And I know we're in March 2023, so uh, I'll be looking to celebrate movies that were released in 1993. Um, I won't give you a definitive list of what I've got, but I definitely will cover some, if not all. I mean, I, what I tried to do originally with this podcast was to select 30 films from each year, right, from 1990 to 1999. Uh, through each year, 30 films and, and go through them. Some I may have seen over and over, some that I may be discovering for the first time and just going through the lens of whether or not they, these movies have aged in the, in the 30 years since they've been released. And a few good men is another one like check on the list. It's, it's definitely aged very well. And, uh, I'm not going to even tell you when the next episode is going to be because a lot of my focus is going to be mainly on my main show and, and, and the stuff that's coming out this year and, and everything going on in pop culture. Um, just a lot of fun stuff this year, but in the weeks when there's nothing going on, uh, and nothing that I really want to see that's coming out in theaters, uh, I'll come back and I'll do an episode for this and we'll, we'll start celebrating the movies of 1993, but I had to go back to a few good men because that would have ended my season two, uh, series of this, but I didn't get, never got to do it. I decided to take a break, uh, on the whole podcasting thing. But now that I'm back, I'm glad that I got to do this episode and I'm so glad that I, that I get to share my thoughts with this movie with you guys because it is absolutely one of my favorites. But thank you guys so much. You can find this podcast on all your platforms that you listen to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora. You know, I release this podcast through podbean.com. You can download the app. You can listen on your way to work, at the gym, you know, whatever. I appreciate any any listens and any feedback you can also leave. You know, I'm uh, I'm open to all that open uh, criticism, that fair criticism, of course. Don't be an asshole about it. You know, I'm like Siskel and Ebert, you know. If, if something's not good, but at least tell me where I could get better or stuff that you want to hear more about or stuff that maybe I, I didn't talk about enough and maybe I can work on that. Again, I'm, I'm never a finished product, so... Uh, I appreciate it, guys, so much. Thank you all for listening. Like I said, I'll release this on all my social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. You'll, you'll, you'll get a chance to hear this, and hopefully it'll make you want to go see the movie again. If you haven't seen it in a while, I can watch it whenever. Or if you've never seen it, again, I don't recommend movies a lot, but this is one where I'm like, you got to see it if you've never have. So thank you guys so much. This has been the 90s Films Turns 30. This has been A Few Good Men. We'll catch you on the next episode. God bless you guys. You want to investigate me, roll the dice, and take your chances. A rookie lawyer. Do you think Santiago was murdered? It doesn't matter what I believe. It only matters what I can prove. A feared colonel. Don't ever question my orders. In a battle for truth. I want to slam dunk this guy. Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, in a Rob Reiner film. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! A Few Good Men, rated R. At theaters December 11th.